Robots are great, robots are chill. Teach them to love, teach them to kill. What if we taught them to think for themselves? Let's watch a movie and find out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Whole Movie Podcast Botcast. That's what we're doing. Botcast. Not bot pod. Scratch it from the record. Yeah, there will be a corrections corner. <laughs> I've been just informed, and we can put that in part of the corrections corner. Yeah. That it is botcast, not bot pod. It just flows edition. off the tongue better, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it it is evocative of the medium. Mm-hmm. And I like saying cast more than I like saying pod. Yeah. Same. <laughs> it's Same. Just, it's just nicer. And it is uh, It is I, uh, once again, your co-host Jordan Cruciola. And who am I joined by? Margot Carlson. Margot Carlson, a robot android um, specialist mm. in the way of rights, depiction, representation. I don't want to be a... Uh, I don't want to be labeled with that much authority. <laughs> I, we alluded to the correction corner. Uh-huh. Um, Do you want to start with correction corner? Yeah, let's... Okay. let's Folks, I said some some things last week with total confidence that I want to just come in and correct right now. And one of, of one of my favorite things about Margot is that thing she does. So I'm personally thrilled for you all to be getting to know it as well. I make statements and then they're not statements. <laughs> <laughs> this happens often, but this I try often. really hard to like own up to that and not um not like double down on things I'm wrong about. Yeah. So for example, correction. Alan Turing's essay from 1950 is not called Intelligence and Machines. It's called Computing Machinery and Intelligence. I recommend reading this essay. It's short and it's charming. Okay. Correction number two. Okay. Last time I stated that whenever an android passes as a human in a movie, that's a big glaring metaphor for marginalized folks passing as normative and being either rejected or accepted into the fold. That's also not accurate. Okay. There's another another theme that often happens in robot cinema. Okay. When an android is passing as a human and then is revealed mm-hmm. to not be human. Yeah. And that is the deceptive nature of technology. Mm. So if it's not, if we're not on the side of the android mm-hmm. and we're on the side of the human characters, what's happening is the movie's yelling at us yeah. that technology is insidious, mm-hmm. misleading, taking over our lives, can't be trusted. Yeah. The corporation that created this technology can't be trusted. Mm -hmm. This happens in Alien, for example. Very much in AI. Very Very much much in AI. AI. As Brendan Gleeson lines out in his horrible monologue about why the machines deserve it. Yes. It sort of happens in Blade Runner. We'll get into it. Mm -hmm. This is a, a movie about a world where humans live in poverty and the androids are getting work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so there's sort of this antagonism towards the artificial because the artificial is taking things from us Mm -hmm. and that's a big theme in robot cinema and as we've discussed before when robots are passing as women Mm -hmm. there is the added layer of the revelation that women Mm -hmm. cannot be trusted are insidious (laughs) deceptive which we've of course always known beautiful femme fatales are dishonest Mm -hmm. and when they have gears inside of them they're extra dishonest (laughs) they're extra dishonest they're extra dishonest and they're extra evil that is the conclusion of today's correction corner (laughs) (laughs) well what i I think i think an important note about the second one is that it was a it was like a what you would express prior you felt was incomplete Mm -hmm. not necessarily that it was incorrect yes but you were like "Mm, this is an additional this is an important addendum yes it's amendment corner (laughs) (laughs) this is the correction and amendment corner um and so okay so now that we have that we started with ai and now we are moving into one of the heaviest hitters of all ridley scott's blade runner hell yeah and i'm gonna start with an intentionally obtuse question Go for it. Why do we like Blade Runner? Like, why, why do we like why, Blade Runner? Why do we as a people? Why is this canon? Like, why are we still, oh, wow. after all this time, captivated by Blade Runner? What is it that makes this thing, like, fucking Blade Runner, man? Do you, should I answer first? Do yes. you have an opinion? Honestly, not especially. Okay, I mean. Because I'm like, this shit's cool. Like, it's <laughs> fucking cool. Obviously, the answer yeah. is it's cool. I think that I spat on your face. That's why. <laughs> I think that uh, the world is, like, one of the first 
really authentic dystopias mm. that it felt like I mean, I'm speaking as someone that was not born in the 80s, but <laughs> yeah. I feel like it feels like a departure from other versions of dystopia that okay. feels a lot more, like, gritty and grounded in reality and, like, immediately um, potentially imminent mm-hmm. in the sort of, like, multicultural, like, multiple hegemonies mm-hmm. interspersed into this space, very crowded, very cluttered, very polluted yeah. and dreary and urban um, in the sense of, like, cities and neon and and that type of thing Mm -hmm. um and then i think you know it's a movie about um being it's a movie about like not even knowing if you're real or not yeah and that um speaks to a lot of like white dude (laughs) sci-fi yes yes exactly the a, a sort of precursor to the like it's a simulation man like we're all just in a simulation man yeah yeah right we're all just replicants at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> I also think that the performance of um, what's his face that played Roy Batty, Rucker Hauer, yeah, it really like it, it had been a minute since I watched uh, Blade Runner. Oh, and this is important: Blade Runner, the final cut, the final cut, two thousand seven. Yeah, this is the movie which we are the. This is the record through which we are discussing this movie. Is yes, it the final cut. The edition. correct. In Margot's opinion, mm-hmm. the correct cut of the movie, the mm-hmm. definitive cut, the final cut, because it includes, first of all, a few ADR corrections, <laughs> and second of all, the unicorn sequences, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. which are rich tapestries worth discussing. Yes, yes. So in we're talking about the final cut. Um, Rutger Hauer's performance in this movie is, it's incredible. It, it, it's It's just so... You feel like he's on, you feel like you, he was on screen every minute of this movie, and he's occasionally in it. Yeah, he's giving Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs yeah. level like supporting role performance. It that is, is pervasive the only one. throughout yeah. the entire film. Yeah, and to the point where it is completely disproportionate for how much screen time he actually takes up. And I was, as I was watching it last night, I was thinking about how like, yeah, this is like definitely a Harrison Ford movie. But honestly, I don't think of it that way. No, because he's playing like, like every man basically. Yeah, and it, I and I it really it was such a watching it was another thing that was very fascinating, just like as a sort of marker of where we were in time with what like sci-fi or, or like what action cinema looked like at the time. Where this is this is in in action movie among other things, and it's funny watching a main character who's like this guy's the Blade Runner. They're like we need to bring you back, right? Because we need these these robots specifically like we need these replicants handled and you're the only guy for this job give it to holden he's good i did he can breathe okay as long as nobody unplugs him it's not good enough not good as you i need you dex this is a bad one the worst yet i need the old blade runner i need your magic and like he shoots a couple people from a distance and gets his shit fucked up by Roy Batty and it was like oh yeah he's not actually that badass it's funny like he's like a pretty normal guy it's going who's in law enforcement right going back to why do people love this movie Mm. I think one of the reasons is that it's a film noir Mm -hmm. and he's like a hard boy a classic hard-boiled detective yeah and the the women in these this movie are femme fatales like it's very 40s noir aesthetic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he is such a archetype of that yeah. that he does truly have no personality but <laughs> to your point like he doesn't um he's not like he's not heroically impressive. impressive no he's frequently scared like his he's terrified of Roy Batty this movie this movie made me reappreciate, and it's something I've thought about before but it made me reappreciate that Harrison Ford is perhaps the foremost actor in all of history at looking overwhelmed oh my god he gets that Harrison Ford face that's this, like this combination of like pathetic and terrified why did it have to be snakes yeah just like <laughs> like he gets that almost like it almost looks like a cry face yes and he's really good and like the thing where he starts like blinking a lot and it's like wow harrison ford is really good at looking like he's absolutely about to break right and he says to rachel like i i get the shakes it's part of the job yeah. and it's like i thought the thing about you yeah. was that you weren't that you weren't like sensitive to this. Yeah. But it's funny, he we are we meet him and we learn right away that he quit being a blade runner. Mm-hmm. And it never tells us why. It also does it in maybe it does in the book, but it never tells us why they're called blade runners. It's I, just like cool sounding. Don't know. Like this is a I, movie podcast, but <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know anything. I kill I kill replicants. 
I'm a Blade Runner. Awesome. Yeah, sick. Yeah, friends who read the book out there, if you would like to explain, um, mansplain away to me on, on Twitter what a Blade Runner means, because to me it just sounds rad. Of course, the book is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. Continuing our theme of Do Androids Dream question mm-hmm. mark from the first episode of the podcast, um, this android seems to dream of unicorns, but we'll get into it. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Emily, uh, and this we can touch on when we get into Blade Runner 2049, which we, of course, will uh, on its own episode. But there was uh, Emily Yoshida also did a great essay for Vulture called Do, is it, Do Robots Dream of Gigantic Women? Oh, my God. Talking about gigantic robotic and holographic women which in sci-fi is, cinema. Yeah, also in AI, in yeah. Rouge City. Yeah. These these movies are in conversation. <laughs> Okay, so we've, we've talked about, you know, sort of the why of, of Blade Runner in terms of, like, why do we keep talking about this thing? But what is the, because this is another one of those movies, as so many of these will be, but, like, this is a fucking time-tested classic where it's, like, you could talk about, you could you could write Bibles on, Bible-length things on so many strands of talking about Blade Runner. But what is... What is it about Blade Runner that is germane to, like, why are we so compelled, me and you, on this podcast toward this? Like, and coming off of AI, we've talked a lot about passing, and and we're going to talk about that some more this time, but passing means something different in the world of Blade Runner. Yes, And, like, true. The, the effects of, like, the, the ramifications of doing it or not doing it. Right. So, as we've discussed, the Turing test is the test of passing as human. Mm. In Blade Runner, that test is the Void Kampf test, mm-hmm. which is the test that uh, Deckard, as a Blade Runner, which is a bounty hunter paid by the police to kill replicants. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the premise of Blade Runner is very simple. Man is retired Blade Runner, is brought back into duty to retire uh, three, four replicants who have come to Earth from off-world and they're dangerous and they're violent, so come kill these people. They jumped the shuttle off-world, killed the crew and passengers. We found the shuttle drifting off the coast two weeks ago, so we know they're around. Come yes. kill these robots. They, they, these are four, um, four robots that are laboring slaves mm-hmm. that live in the off-world colonies as slave labor. One of them is a pleasure model that mm-hmm. was distributed to the troops off-world. That is... Such a terrifying description. A basic pleasure model. Basic pleasure model. Rude. We, we tossed her to the troops. The foreskin job is Pris. A basic pleasure model. The standard item for military clubs in the outer colonies. I know. And Pris, she's anything but basic. <laughs> I mean, baby Daryl Hannah, Jesus right. Christ. Right. Um, uh, Roy Batty being like the newest model. He is like the the, the killing machine. He's the Terminator model mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. um, who's admired as perfect by everyone who knows anything about replicants when mm. they meet him. They're like obsessed with how flawless he yeah. is. What's this? Nexus 6. Roy Batty. Incept date 2016. Combat model. Optimum self-sufficiency. Probably the leader. And, and they have got, gone loose, hijack, gotten loose, hijacked a spaceship, returned to Earth, and seems seem to have infiltrated the Tyrell Corp, the creators of the replicants. Yes. And the cops want to know why, and they want to stop whatever they're up to. Mm-hmm. So Deckard is chosen for the job, um, and he implements the Voight-Kampf test to determine whether, um, whether someone is a robot or a person. Mm-hmm. And the test is a series of emotionally uh, loaded questions. <laughs> yeah. um, and it doesn't even matter. It seems not to matter the response that the andro- or that the, the subject gives to the test. Mm-hmm. It's the micro expressions that accompany whatever response they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is described in detail as like, you know, it's, it's a uh, quickening of breath. It's changing of pupil dilation, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But we never understand really in the script of the movie, what, what tells him no, whether or not someone is an Android. It no. seems to be, the person either the person doesn't respond the way a standard neurotypical human right. would respond and and that slight change is enough mm-hmm. but at the same time we also learn from Tyrell 
that um, after the we as as the replicants approach their four year lifespan, mm-hmm. they the trauma that they endure in their position mm-hmm. as slave labor uh, can start to get to them emotionally. Mm-hmm. They were designed to copy human beings in every way except their emotions. And the designers reckon that after a few years, they might develop their own emotional responses. Well, hate, love, fear, anger, envy. So they built in a fail-safe device. Which is what? For your lifespan. So while in general, replicants behave emotionally, um, seem to be more emotionally bereft, not bereft. They seem to be more... <laughs> words in general <laughs> androids seem to be lacking um the emotional complexity that humans have Mm-mm. uh when they get too emotional right they have to die they have to die and that's when deckard comes in to shoot them mm-hmm. and this is as uh margo brought this up before we started recording which is that there the interesting contrast between ai and blade runner is you have these things which are meant to live forever in in AI, and then in Blade Runner, you have these things which are meant to live a finite amount of time. Yes. And there is a, they are in a sort of ultimately damned position where when they start becoming too human, that's when we know that they have to be dispatched. Like, when they start being irrational, when they start not being the things that align with, I guess, being a perfect machine would be, then it's like, well, we gotta fucking get rid of these things. Because they are getting to be too much of a hassle. Versus when David is his most human... That's when he gets an entire crowd of people to, like, scream at Brendan Gleeson on his behalf and be like, you don't kill David, robots don't plead for their lives. Then they storm the flesh fair and they take out the MC versus in this, when they start to become more human, more externalizing, more feeling. And then indeed, it's like, ooh, no. Indeed, when they start to plead for their lives, mm-hmm. that's when they have to die. Mm-hmm. The whole reason that... Zora and Pris and Leon and Roy are mm. back on Earth is because they want to return to their creator, Tyrell, and ask to be given longer to live. Yeah. They don't want to die. Mm-hmm. And that means that they have to. <laughs> Bummer! Wow! <laughs> and it's how dare they? A testament, again, to Rutger Hauer. Ugh. I mean, the... the any I feel that any other actor playing... Roy would have done sort of like a Terminator thing of like mm-hmm. um, sort of stolid, emotionally, um, emotionally hardened mm-hmm. uh, killing machine. Yeah. His version of uncanny machine mm-hmm. is so non-robotic, mm-hmm. but is instead hyper, hyper animalistic. Mm-hmm. Um where it's like, it's like the closer these androids get to death, mm-hmm. the harder it is for them to pass as human. Mm-hmm. But instead of malfunctioning in ways that betray their inner mechanisms or whatever, mm-hmm. I know they bleed blood and are like sort of more clones than they are robots. But mm. but still, the, it's not that they betray their um, artificiality. Yeah. It's that they can't. They, they go the other way. They can't pass as human mm-hmm. because they're too embodied and yeah. too emotional and too overwhelmed by their <laughs> by their inner turmoil. Yeah, and, and their, their imminent demise. Yes. Well, and I, I think this, this gets at something that I, that I thought was interesting you were talking about before we got on, which is the notion of, like, going finding your way like in being going into the uncanny valley but then managing to come out through it into the other side. Right. And right. how that is like, that that is its own kind of distressing for us as people. Right. There is also, also, mm. there is a whole part of the uncanny that, um, that, and, and of passing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that has to do with fuckability. Yeah. That I think doesn't get talked about enough. Listen, Leon's the first one to die. <laughs> yeah, because he's ugly. Leon's the first one to die. We have, like, a girl. We have one. Zora is, like, dancing for, like, she's like a showgirl. Pris is clearly, like, on a seduction, seduction mission with J.F. Sebastian. 
and Roy Batty's hot as shit. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, Not to mention like Rachel. This is like Pete Gut- Rutger Hauer. Right. Yeah, and, I, and Sean Young looking just transcendently absolutely. beautiful. Talk about a film noir. Unfucking believable. That diva. Face. She's so beautiful. Um, but but yeah, and we'll get into this way more when we talk about Ex Machina, which yeah. we will. But the the thing that allows Deckard to decide that Rachel deserves to survive mm-hmm. and and that he can love her mm-hmm. and that they can have a future together, however short that may be, um, despite the fact that she does fail his test, mm-hmm. is that he wants to fuck her. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happens with Caleb and Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. And the the fact that, you know, in, in passing stories in real life, mm-hmm. a lot of times when people are permitted to access... Uh, the privilege of normativity um, and the privilege of passing is when they're adequately fuckable to uh, like straight white men. Yes. When they, when they are desirable to men as sex objects. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well then you get to be, I get to see you as a woman. Mm -hmm. You get to be seen as a woman or you get to be seen as white, et cetera. You get to be seen as um, acceptable to me and, Mm -hmm. and appropriate Appropriate. because you're, (laughs) because you're hot enough. And I think that, um, that Rachel is, is, um, is victim to that same gaze. Yeah. And, like, benefits from it. Well, and I think an interesting thing about Rachel, too, when we meet her, is that it takes her a very, she is a a special model. She is unique. Like David. Like David. And it takes Deckard a very long time to discern that she is a replicant. And one of the reasons he gives for why is he's like, she doesn't know, does she? Yeah. She's beginning to suspect, I think. Suspect? How can it not know what it is? And so it's interesting, the idea of the the ability to, the ability to pass, the, the ability to be acceptably, acceptably robot, but presenting as human or living among humans, is there is an authenticity to her answers that comes with she's not performing humanity. Because to her knowledge, she's not anything else. There isn't a performance of being a person with Rachel because right. Rachel doesn't know that there's an alternative. Right, and yet she Until still... she takes the fucking test and then she's like, uh. <laughs> right, she still fails to pass. It's so mm-hmm. it's so great that she asks, have you ever retired a human by accident? Yeah. And then later she asks Deckard, have you ever taken the test yourself? Mm-hmm. Because as someone who believed herself to be human, mm-hmm. you do get the sense that she realizes while taking the test that yeah. she's failing. To it. me, that was why she walked away. Because yeah. she was like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody didn't tell me something. Yeah. Because it doesn't seem that she had a conversation with Tyrell afterwards mm-hmm. where he explains the truth mm-hmm. it seems that she just shows up at deckard's house and is like okay i need your help because i'm fucked yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's your fault for testing me yeah and i'm very pretty so you're gonna let me in yeah you are yeah i'm very pretty and i'm vulnerable and docile and childlike yeah yeah the um uh leilani nishime who mm-hmm. wrote this essay called the mulatto cyborg she mm-hmm. argues that blade runner is a mixed race metaphor mm-hmm. um a narrative about um about a mixed race type character who believes themselves to be white, not realizing that they've been raised to pass, mm, mm. Um, which I think is an interesting stance and is also happens in Battlestar Galactica happens in the mm-hmm. first season of Westworld. These mm. stories of these androids realizing that they're not, they're not a part of the um, hege- hegemonic yeah. majority yeah. and are actually in danger mm. and needing to like reset their, version of their perspective on the world to understand that they're um a minority and that they're like <laughs> people are being abused and yeah. it's interesting like Rachel seems to Rachel seems to suddenly understand um how much danger she's in and how how uh how the pos- yeah she seems to understand the position she's in mm-hmm. um pretty but, immediately but doesn't ask Deckard to save her save the other replicants Mm -hmm. or she just she just wants to survive Mm -hmm. as they all do yeah and it's immediately like a well i i need to Mm -hmm. i need to survive which is an interesting contrast with um the 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 little band of robots that have come to earth in in roy and pris and such where they they feel like they're 
there for each other. There is a there is a an anger. They to, love each other. Yeah, there is an anger with Roy when the others are killed, and he he has like Deckard in his grasp, and he's like breaking his individual fingers. Like this is for Zora. This is for Pris. Yes. And there is a, when he gets off the elevator in the Bradbury building, when he comes back from killing Tyrell and he kind of and exits with a flourish because he's about to see Pris again. And then he realizes that the door to the Sebastian's apartment is open and that Pris is probably in danger in there. And then he sees her and he begins to cry. He mourns her for like five minutes of screen time. <laughs> yes. Which, which feels in, long. In the middle of like the climactic battle scene. Yeah. He really, really like wanted her to survive and wanted them to be in this together. Yeah. Rachel, who believed that she was a human Mm -hmm. upon realizing that she doesn't, all she cares about is getting back to that Mm -hmm. status. Yeah. The most, yeah. The most, the most human of the robots that we meet, the one who's the least aware of their roboticism is the most selfishly motivated of all the robots they're in our purview here it's a real like uh, speaking as a white queer person it's a real thing of like when you re- when there's a there's an impulse when you're a white queer person i would say <laughs> mm-hmm. um the white gaze the, when you're a white gaze and you <laughs> you realize that you're queer and all there's a there's an impulse to be like well time to perform like homonormativity <laughs> yeah homonormativity is real yeah, time to be the most I- innocuous and appropriate and yeah. lovable version of a queer person yeah the most so like that, um uh will and grace yeah so i can maintain my power that i have mm-hmm. and it's a great like feeling to finally shed that and be like i'm gonna be um like a leftist. <laughs> I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be radicalized instead. I'm gonna be radicalized instead. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Better to be annoying. Yeah, but not in that West Hollywood way. Because <laughs> that's homonormative. Exactly in the antithesis of the of the West Hollywood way, and it is. It's another demonstration. This movie of like the robots showing up for each other because Deckard's a replicant. Rachel's a replicant. And it's it's another it's another example in this movie as an AI of the robots showing up more for each other than any humans are showing up for one another, and certainly more than any humans would ever show up for any robots. Right. So it is demonstrating this like this solidarity of the enslaved in the face of these horrible oppressor makers who are ostensibly quote unquote better than them, who are right. superior to them, and yet the way that they and yet they are objectively the bad guys. They are objectively the bad guys telling the people that they have enslaved, telling the robots that they have enslaved that, like, no, you don't deserve to live, even though we're the aspirational class. <laughs> Fuck right. you. Although Fuck I think you. Deckard is an interesting example because um, the movie, the final cut, 2007, the, yes. <laughs> the, the intended version of the film, Ridley Scott's intention for the film, is to imply that Deckard is a replicant. Mm-hmm. It never states it outright. No. But he's, Rachel questions his humanity and invites him sort of to question that himself. And we see the replicant shine in his eyes and at very at least in the final cut. And I was like, oh, this is very obviously true. I don't know why this was ever a debate. Right. <laughs> like, what? The the unicorn sequence that we are alluding to mm-hmm. is, um, is a, a, a sort of daydream that Deckard has while he's home at his apartment by himself. He sort of spaces out and envisions an image of a unicorn like slow motion galloping through the woods Mm -hmm. and it's very out of place and random Mm -hmm. then at the end of the film his colleague at the police station gaff Mm -hmm. who's a much older blade runner Mm -hmm. and sort of his quasi mentor yes this is edward james almost's character edward james almost with blue eyes yes (laughs) um he he creates origami throughout the movie and sort of places little origami um uh, sort of an origami menagerie <laughs> throughout <laughs> throughout different scenes in the movie and at the very end he leaves an origami unicorn at Deckard's apartment mm. Deckard finds it and uh, we hear echoed in his head Gaff's last words to him which were it's too bad she won't live but then again who does and we, we, the audience, we, Jordan and Margot, yeah. <laughs> watch that and think um, and realize that that 
Edward James almost is aware of this daydream that Deckard has never told anyone about mm. and is sort of telling him that this daydream is implanted. Mm-hmm. Um, t- Taylor, friend of the pods, <laughs> yeah, boyfriend friend. of the pods. Yeah. <laughs> uh, theory is that. Um, what if just crazily Taylor was both of our boyfriends <gasps> and we were like twist guys. Twist guys. We're in a triad. This is how we met. <laughs> yeah. That's not true. But suddenly it became funny to me if it was. Yeah. This podcast's boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taylor's theory is that Deckard has been implanted with Edward James Almost's character's memories, that, mm-hmm. that the actual, like, veteran, everyone's favorite Blade Runner from the Force, mm-hmm. from the LAPD, was Gaff, mm-hmm. and that when Gaff retired or got old enough, they created Deckard with Gaff's memories. Yeah, because Gaff has, Gaff has, is not necessarily fully able-bodied at this point. No, he, he has a limp. The, he has a yes. limp, he walks with a cane, like... He's clearly not in, in, in a position to be, like, running through the streets of Los Angeles chasing yes. down replicants. Yes. So so we believe that this establishes, that the film establishes that Deckard is is like Rachel, an android who has been um, brainwashed to believe that he's human. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he falls for Rachel and chooses to save her, mm-hmm. what's happening is he's sort of internally insisting on her own realness in order to reaffirm for himself that he could, that he is real, mm-hmm. that he's, he's not artificial. Yeah. And that he's like potent. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that too. Um, uh, and we can get into like, what is canon in Blade Runner 2049. That feels like a different podcast. It's going to be a different episode. Yeah. This is what's canon in Blade Runner 1982 slash 2007. Slash 2007. Well, in and in in what you have with, there's just, there's, as in, you know, coming as, as the continuation off of AI, in AI you have um, how, what we're going to do is we're going to create this thing that loves, once it's imprinted, this this child bot loves its parents so unconditionally that it's almost like a catastrophic level yeah. of, like, love and need. Ruins for, their life. Yeah, it ruins their life. They have no, they really have no personhood outside of loving the, the, the adults that they are meant to love. And so that's kind of like the ultimate manipulation is like, how do we love something? How do we make something love so much that we can control it? Mm. And then in, in Blade Runner, you have like the, uh, what they realized is in making these, like as Tyrell explains, is that they had to put in that buffer, sort of those things that imply you have a soul. We began to recognize in them strange obsession. After all, they are emotionally inexperienced with only a few years in which to store up the experiences which you and I take for granted. If we gift them with the past we create a cushion or pillow for their emotions and consequently we can control them better memories you're talking about memories the examples of the memories are also really um compelling and upsetting Mm -hmm. deckard lists two of them to rachel to like prove that he knows that she's a replicant yeah by sharing two memories she's never shared with anyone before. Mm-hmm. And it's like a quasi incestuous, um, very disturbing scene of her as a child, like her brother uh, exposing himself to her as yeah, a child. Yeah, yeah. You were going to play doctor. He showed you his. And when it got to be your turn, you chickened and ran. Remember that? And then, like, a very traumatic. Uh, moment from childhood of seeing a bunch of spiders hatch yeah from a from a uh web yeah yeah from a little egg sack so both examples are sort of in keeping with the voight kampf tests questions like Mm. these are super hyper emotionally volatile topics yeah that we're going to pre-implant in you to sort of give you like um some some low level ptsd that will inform what's more human than that it's so interesting because these again these are i mean sure rachel is like a secretary model so she's not being exposed to necessarily like that much trauma in her day-to-day life right but roy zora pris leon all of them are like out off world in the fucking trenches yeah their their purposes are are war and sex right this is zora She's trained for an off-world kick-murder squad. Talk about Beauty and the Beast. She's both. Roy pr- persistently brings up how traumatized he is. Mm-hmm. His his p- 
present day memories are very upsetting to Mm -hmm, him. mm -hmm. And he's ashamed of what he's done because of his programming and what he's been made to do because he is a slave. (laughs) Yeah. So the idea that like allowing them to develop more healthy emotions in their four year lifespan by giving them childhood trauma (laughs) to like ground them. Yeah. Is, um, feels (laughs) a little mean (laughs) to put it lightly. Feels a little mean. Just doesn't feel fair. And then why does Deckard get to have a unicorn fantasy? Like, give him some trauma. (laughs) No, because he's the police. Yeah. He's, and if you're not a cop, you're little people. Yeah. As they tell him. As they tell him. It's, it's just so, it's, it's so persistently upsetting in these movies that, like, you get, you get punished for not being human enough, or you get punished for being too human, but the way that we're going to control you is by making you, taking the things that are the most, like, sort of difficult to wrangle with in being a human, and we're going to give those things to you and use them as manipulation handles. Yeah is the it's the meanest fucking thing you could do like it's it'd be like i really i really want this person to love me so what i'm gonna do like like a human person i'm gonna eternal sunshine out all their good memories and only leave them with the things that hurt so they need me to make them feel okay yeah like imagine doing that to a human person being like, I'm going to strip away everything that could make you happy, but leave you with enough to keep you a hollow shell so only I can fill you up. Right. That's abusive people. Yes, that's like, exactly that's what abusers. that is. <laughs> that's what, humans are the abusive boyfriends of robots. Oh my god. That's it's like, true. it's like the only thing we are. Liberate them. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please let robots be queer and hang out and hang out in their chosen family. Let them just hang out with each other and like chill. (laughs) Hey there, robot enthusiasts. It's Jordan Cruciola here, and I'm here to pose the question once again. Folks, do you love movies? Do you spend your days thinking about how much you love to watch them? The good ones, even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From bumper stickers that tell the world about your love of the 1999 classic The Mummy, to stylish hats that celebrate the fine works of Nora Ephron. They even have super soft t-shirts based on the internet's favorite collective husband, Oscar Isaac. Super Yaki brings you tangible love letters to the movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. And if you're moved by internet boyfriend's Super Yaki fave and all-around international screen gem Mads Mikkelsen, then you can get ready to purchase up for the Mads Hive thanks to the Karen Han collaboration drop that Super Yaki has rolling out soon. And hey, while you're in the store, why don't you do a little restocking of your own for their Josie and the Pussycats collection? Have fun, everybody. I I love that Roy saves Deckard. I love that. Do you think yes. he saves him because he knows he's a replicant? I think... I would be curious to hear your thoughts on this. I feel like Roy, like, hates what he's been forced to do in his mm-hmm. life. He's, like, made to be a killing machine. Mm-hmm. He has so much trauma around that. He says to Tyrell when he's asking for more life, he's like, I've done questionable things. And Tyrell is like, you've done cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. And Roy's like, you don't fucking get it. Yeah, very much like a like a, a father who taught their son never to cry. And yeah. then he's like, I hate the man that I am. And he's like, I raised you to be fucking tough as nails. Right. And he's like, I hate you I for hate that. I hate you and I hate myself. Yeah, and I hate that. <laughs> and when he dies, you, obviously he has that very iconic list of things he's witnessed. Yes. But it's also the like sea this, beams and uh, the attack ships on fire. And... Yeah, I've seen things you could never imagine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, the implication is like i've done like really fucked up stuff Mm -hmm. and i think he like doesn't 
he doesn't want to be a killer. Mm-hmm. He is, he he is, and he's his when he kills, it's very emotionally motivated. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. I think he feels for Deckard. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he clocks him as a replicant. Mm-hmm. Okay. He has this line um, after terrifying Deckard for like thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Just like I love how much of that final showdown is him just antagonizing Deckard, yeah. shoving his head through like bathroom tile. Yeah. You better get it up. I'm going to have to kill you. Unless you're alive. You can't play, and if you don't play... <laughs> being, being almost, like, cartoonishly antagonistic, like, hey, bitch. Howling like a dog. Yeah, like, it's how unsporting great. of you to it's pick up a great. weapon on me. Yeah, it's awesome. But when he finally does, like, confront Deckard on the roof, he says... Quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it is to be a slave. And that, that telling him basically like what you just experienced is my life, mm-hmm. and then he falls and De- and Roy catches him with his Jesus hand. Yeah, <laughs> I love that that shot from below of just the one arm lift of a whole human man and Harrison so Ford great. and just dropping him down on the roof is like wow. Yes. It really it so completely conveys the epic strength. Of Roy Batty, the Nexus Six. Yes, it's like, oh, you would, you, you, Deckard were never gonna win this fight. Right, you stood no chance. Right, but he, he unless you walked up behind him, him and shot him in the head without you knowing you were standing there, you were never gonna beat this man. Right, right, exactly. But he chooses to save him, and he's gripping that dove mm-hmm. tenderly enough that it can fly away. After <laughs> yeah, him. it is unscathed. This dove and lifting. Deckard up with his other hand and there's sort of you I I see in that the choice for his last act to mm-hmm. be one of of um a, a deed that he can be proud of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. instead of one that he's ashamed of mm-hmm. and what I I think for I, I wondered if there was a bit there of it too which again I will I will try and like keep our episodes like in in relating to one another probably as wherever I can find room just because I like that consistency um you have in Joe's Gigolo Joe in his final moments with David Mm. you know he tells him you know remember me to the ladies and as he's ascending being pulled up by the police helicopter he says that you know adorable little Gigolo Joe heartbreaking moment of I am I was and David will be kind of the only record of Joe in a meaningful way. Like, a lot of women will have had great sex with Joe. <laughs> and they'll be very glad about that. But there are, you know, even in, in his monologue to David about how they can't, they don't love you because they can't love you. And, you know, my my clients don't love me. They love what I can do for them. And he ta- he mentions that thing about, like, being replaced by a younger model. He knows he's a, a part of an assembly line. Mm. And I wondered if there was anything there for Roy of, like, that notion of, especially with their lives being so short and them not really, I'm not necessarily meant to have human connections. They're just slave robots. Deckard is a record of Roy existing. Cause Roy says to him, he's like, you know, the things I've seen, then he says, well, you know, will fade away like tears and you know, the like tears and rain famously and sort of his existence will have just been something that gets washed away in the drain. And he has this person that he, you know, has, terrorized and horrified in these final moments of his life and it's sort of like you are the you are a record of my existence i am i was i am i was i feel like that's roy's i am i was moment it's also we're never told whether roy has been implanted with these false memories like rachel has but Mm -hmm. it is really great that when he dies he he lists these memories that he's had in his lifetime yeah like whatever whatever i've been taught was true Mm -hmm. I know that I've seen things you can't even imagine. Yeah. And you'll never know what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And you like you'll never have access to those memories, mm-hmm. but I do. It's like a sort of it's sort of a a statement of individuality and autonomy a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I no matter what you implant in me, yeah, these are mine. Well, and it, it's it like it gets the sense of like, you know, the idea of what is the idea of what is human and sort of what delineates the robot from the human. And it feels like a feels like a very human impulse to want a legacy yeah it feels like a very human impulse to want to be remembered to want to think that your time here wasn't just come and gone and it's 
it's fascinating to think of like what will the like what is the robot future look like in a world where we have where, where robots are incorporated into the world to like the degree that replicants are because the only way we could ever imagine robots is in contrast to ourselves as people it's like you watch movies that white people make about like the lives of black people and they somehow manage to always still revolve around white people like right blackness is always defined in contrast to whiteness right queer people are always defined as the contrast to the straight normal i would love to see a robot work of fiction right where the robots are hanging out with themselves and doing right, things like, that they want that are completely independent of what humans want them like to do. The, like the idea of being able to look into a crystal ball and see like the robot Bechdel test being passed where it's just robots talking right. to robots about something that's not human beings. I sort of feel like I'm, I feel like maybe Wally does that a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's still totally in contact, in contrast to humans. Like yeah. the human characters are the ones that appreciate mm-hmm. what's happening to, with these robots. Mm-hmm. But there is sort of a like, we're just vibing. Yeah. We just like each other's company. Yeah. It's, it's like, what will, you know, and this, this is a whole like infinitely long conversation that two stoned people should have. <laughs> but like the idea of, because we, we, we can only conceive of these things through, like, works of fiction and Boston, Boston Dynamics. <laughs> and, like, but, like, say we get, we get oh boy. art of it. Oh, shut them down. Put them under the jail. <laughs> That's where I'm at on Boston Dynamics. Um, it's, it's, I, like, I, what is the robot future in which, like, we, we get a thing to the level of sentience that we've always proposed we would. In, right. You know, in Ex Machina, et cetera, et cetera. What is what do those robots actually start wanting when they start having wants? Because I can't, I actually can't imagine it will be similar to what we've always conceived of them. Because we can only conceive of them as human, yes, as like or as, as in as, contrast to human or holding right. our human value system or wanting legacies, right. wanting memories, wanting to matter, right? Or wanting revenge, or wanting revenge. <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, it's the same way that like these being, um, being left-leaning politically um, (laughs) and sort of having sympathies with like the proletariat (laughs) the thing about um like leftist fiction as Mm, well mm. is that often it's about revolution and revenge Mm -hmm. essentially it's about like uh losing your chains and and the the like fantasy Mm. of general strike and revolution that we want Mm -hmm. but I think, like, true, authentic uh, leftist works mm-hmm. are also about just, like, joy. And right. In the s- same way that true, authentic, um, positive queer yeah. fiction is about queer joy. Yeah. True, authentic, positive uh, works about BIPOC characters is about black joy and about, mm-hmm. like, BIPOC joy. And I think that truly, like, what I would love from robot cinema mm-hmm. is is robot joy. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, you watch, it's very sweet to watch Roy at the end be, become in that moment where he's like saving Deckard and just sort of wanting to be, wanting to be remembered. It's, it's one of those moments where like, you know, as you so often have in movies that feature robots where like the robot becomes more human than like the asshole humans around it. And it's just, it's very sweet to watch. It's very heartbreaking to watch Roy just, just want to be okay. It just I all I wanted was to live and I couldn't have that. And so all I'm going to all I can do in this moment is to express to you my memories and let you know that I was real. Yeah. Because every cuz so much told me that like I wasn't real. Like yeah. I, I was just a slave. Like I right. wasn't I I didn't have an existence. I was just a service. It's interesting when he does meet human characters in the movie that are experts in replicant biology. Yeah. They immediately clock him mm-hmm. as a replicant without any Voight comp test involved. <laughs> yeah. Why are you staring at us, Sebastian? Because you're so different. And they all describe him as perfectly crafted. When, I mean, we will, we should talk more about J.F. Sebastian, because what an interesting character. But yeah. when, before when we he, go, we, we, yes, let's talk about J.F. Sebastian. When he, when Sebastian meets Roy for the first time, he, he like, the first thing he says is like, You're so perfect. Yes. You were created perfectly. I remember. Yeah. I remember designing you. <laughs> um, and I think that, and then he asks Roy to perform for him. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, do something. Yeah. Will you show me about how perfect you are? Yeah. I think that Roy, like... At which moment, Pris goes and puts her hand in a pot of boiling well, water. Well, yeah. Roy, Roy says... Pris says, I think, Sebastian, therefore I am. And Roy <laughs> says, now show him why. <laughs> and then she does, like, ten flips. Yeah. She's a gymnast. Pris sticks a gymnast. her hand in, in boiling water to be like... <laughs> The reason I think therefore I am is so that I can be sexy and get hurt. Which, (laughs) (laughs) folks, when a fembot is in a movie, (laughs) they'll be subjected to violence and sexual violence. There it is. That's Margot's great stake right there. That is the great dissertation. That's the refrain. (laughs) So yes, you have Sebastian. He's that guy. He, okay. I I just want to bring him up because he's, he's, he's like an... He's a sad, weird pervert. Yeah. That I think is a good guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's 25 and dying of a wasting disease. <laughs> Roy says, um, "I the term wasting disease is, of course, not <laughs> funny, but it's also hilarious, and it's also one of my favorite things that Amanda says on the Disaster Podcast. Um, one of the disaster movie tropes is mom wasting disease mom wasting disease which is the indeterminate thing that kills the mother that gives the main character right. sadness the fridging so she, yeah she has mom wasting disease yeah so, so, so <laughs> he sebastian has, has a wasting disease, a wasting disease. <laughs> roy yeah, he says, looks like he's 50 right it's very fun and roy says um, <laughs> we've got a lot in common what do you mean similar problems accelerated decrepitude so I think that he he sort of has sympathy for he's a vulnerable, sweet guy, lonely yeah. guy yeah. that just now the reason I like don't fully trust him is that he does work for Tyrell creating the slave labor. Yeah, and but he's I, close with Tyrell in a in a way that is rare in Tyrell's life. Like they yes. have their ongoing chess game. He has access to Tyrell personally yes. and that's the thing that seemingly no one else has. Right, and why is he granted that access? Yeah. He seems very trustworthy but also very vulnerable to manipulation which Pris and Roy take advantage of but seems to like enjoy some benefits from this dynamic right yeah and he he's he's friends you want your friend to date JF Sebastian yeah but you would like you would care about him being okay yeah yeah but you wouldn't ever be like oh you should meet my friend who's a girl (laughs) you'd be like no yeah (laughs) enjoy your yeah dolls yeah let's (laughs) yeah I you know his little companions that he builds but his his dolls seem to really like him yeah. and be worried about him when Pris appears. Mm-hmm. They seem concerned for J.F. Sebastian. Mm-hmm. So I, that that tells me that he treats them well at least. Mm-hmm. That they are respected. Or at the very least they're programmed to feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> Not a bad point. <laughs> the very, he's, he, he doesn't he, he doesn't give off Predator, no. but he definitely uh, gives off would, like, would be, like, a peeping Tom kind of thing. Yeah, like, mm. but, like, not... <laughs> this is such a fucked up thing. <laughs> I was going to be, like, not in a malicious way. <laughs> Just curious. <laughs> and then and then I I don't think that that is... But that's, that's, that's the difficulty of a, of a presence, like, where it's, like, well, you're, you're, you're creepy, but you're benign Mm. but you are creepy yeah like i don't i don't want to close the distance here but yeah like i hope you're okay right (laughs) you know speaking of accelerated decrepitude i do think that the um we we talked about before we started recording the the planned obsolescence of the of the replicants and this thing in like actual tech companies of creating a product that is designed to break way faster than it theoretically could if it were designed well yeah so iphones for example are meant to have batteries that die mm-hmm. very quickly after like a year and a half mm. so that um you need to upgrade to a newer model mm-hmm. and this kind of um intentional uh short lifespan mm-hmm. is a way of keeping uh keeping customers mm-hmm. and keeping uh keeping us humans uh, like in need of um constantly improving our products Mm -hmm. upgrading to the better model yeah and i think in in blade runner this like type of weird corporate subjugation of its customers has extended to um to their slave labor Mm -hmm. (laughs) where um like it seems like they it seems like Tyrell has tried to create 
a replicant that can last longer than four years, but can't extend the life of a four-year replicant. Yes. You were made as well as we could make you. But not to last. The light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. And you have burned so very, very brightly, Roy. So it is possible, but in the design of Roy. And once of the design is locked in, once, much like much like David, once the imprint is hardwired. Yeah, you cannot change it. it. Yeah, once, once so, this code of, of, of self-destruction is written, it cannot be modified in, in that specific regard. Right, and the, the purpose of giving these androids a four-year lifespan is both to prevent them from, de- from over time developing independent consciousness, autonomy, mm-hmm. emotions, intelligence... That would allow them to consider overthrowing yeah. humans. So, like, mm-hmm. it's it's preventative from that perspective, but it also is a way of, like, keeping the outer worlds and keeping the humans and the military that pay for these mm-hmm. um, needing to upgrade yeah. constantly. Yeah. Um, and I like that. I like a movie where the villain is ultimately the corporation. <laughs> I like that in a where sci-fi ultimately film. ultimately it's capitalism. Right. Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. Rachel is an experiment, nothing more. Because what's important to remember about movies where technology is the bad guy is that technology isn't the bad guy. The humans that created technology is the bad guy. Yeah. And Which is why I hate you, Silicon Valley. Yeah. (laughs) It's, I think there there can be, um, like, an anxiety and phobia of, like, the tech itself. Mm Mm-hmm. Like people, and that's part of what makes them uncanny is mm-hmm. like, oh, I, I'm, I don't trust this. Mm-hmm. I don't trust an Amazon Alexa because it's surveilling me. Mm-hmm. What's what you don't trust is Jeff Bezos's company Amazon, <laughs> and the fact that they're using products, Alexa as a vehicle to surveil right. me. It's important to remember these are programmed things, yeah. and the real villains are humans or the programmers. Yes. period period well and i i think that like i feel like the, the the last thing that i've been thinking about is just the um the the idea of planned obsolescence connecting to like this notion of you know uh, again going back to ai what what william hurt says about like the the he, basically he's like the grand design of man from all time was to create an artificial being it's like was it what was that our goal singularly this whole time that's not my goal that, yeah it had never occurred to me Okay, but taking that, the idea that, like, we have a thing like a Boston Dynamics and, and anything that exists in that orbit mm-hmm. of, of technology and, and scientific discovery and development, there is this movement to create the most, like, humanoid but durable robot, like, human substitute. And we do that knowing that there will have to be regulations put in place to control these things so that they do not supersede us. Right. And so, like, you have this Tyrell Corporation that has made these replicants. We've made pleasure bots. We make super soldiers. We make slaves. And as a result of that, we had we had to, quote-unquote, we had to create a unique mercenary force yep. that exists strictly to kill them. Right. So it's... It's it's like it's like let's work toward this thing. Let's put all of our resources and the extreme time and investment that would go into creating an artificial being because that's like say that's like the pinnacle of what we could do. And look at all these things that could accomplish for us. But let's make sure we can kill them whenever we need to. Let's make sure we can limit their functionality. Let's make sure that they make us feel comfortable, but they're never so human that they could start pleading for their lives right let's develop a test that can allow us to constantly reassure ourselves yeah that we we have control over them we're yeah. aware of them yeah we're keeping track of them it's it's like the the repetitive desire in movies like these and that you see in, in a character like tyrell to create something that you will have to feel you will have to and you will put resources into surveilling containing corralling and killing retiring yeah <laughs> you, i am going to create this thing that i will also have to cyclically kill yeah is really fucked up so maybe this is why i went on that long biblical tangent earlier, <laughs> is yeah, like this... what if god created us just so he could kill us yeah i mean it, it is like to what william hurt in ai says like there is a um 
there is sort of a Frankenstein urge that mm-hmm. I think, especially in sci-fi, mm. um, but also in real life with our billionaires, um, there is an urge to play God mm-hmm. and sort of a, a goal that I think um, people do often yearn for of being the person to make, to be able to make life and specifically and you don't put your name on buildings unless you want it to be there after you right and also it's um i think it's specifically male scientists mm-hmm. who want to be able to have control over the creation of life without needing um like women right for lack yeah. of a better word yeah. like like the the um the ability to to it's a real fuck you. I've got this now too. Yeah, like I, I, I it's the power of God, and mm-hmm. it's also like a well. I, if I can control the creation of another person, mm-hmm. then I finally have control over women's realm, which is nature. Mm-hmm. And if I can control nature mm-hmm. and like technology and technology, then I am God. Oh, and I think, God. yeah, I mean, fuck. Yeah. But I do think that like the we have our Eve mm-hmm. and we have our Adam mm-hmm. and. Um, and, and Roy is posited as the son of God. Mm-hmm. He calls Tyrell father. Yeah. What seems to be the problem? Death. Death. Well, I'm afraid that's a little out of my jurisdiction. You... I want more life. Father. The facts of life. And Tyrell looks on Roy as a special his special little boy yeah um his most perfect creation mm-hmm. his like a replication of himself essentially yeah. and and so yeah maybe the the big biblical metaphor that I wanted to talk about so much is just that like we man loves to play God mm-hmm. and um that ends up really really punishing mm-hmm. the quasi-human creations yeah that man insists on creating and then causing to suffer. Yeah, I think I think I think what this movie comes down to in a capsule for me would be then um, it, it it's it's a very it's a very focused in the robot movie world, very focused look at like the cost of what it is to create these things and the absolute abdication of any responsibility that you have to the thing you create mm. because you only create it to eventually kill it. You create it to die. Right. To serve a limited purpose. Like a sim. Yeah, like a sim. And except it's three-dimensional and it has eyes and a voice. It can look at you and can talk to you and it can really confuse you and you cannot know that it's a that it's a robot at all, that it's a yeah. replicant at all. Like the whole point is that it can assimilate and then it has to be surveilled controlled systematically dispatched like to create something only to create an infrastructure around it to enslave it and kill it right should it choose to revolt is because it probably will because it probably will is uh one of the i think it's one of the most accurate and fucked up uh demonstrations of humanity (laughs) yeah a human like hubris truly yeah um so yeah i think that's where blade runner really settles for me yeah and is that where we end it? Yeah. On just, like, a bitter on, on a, <laughs> bitter taste in our mouths about humans in general. Yeah, much like the constantly rainy bleakness of Blade Runner Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, sad. Sad shit. Sad. I'll be interested to talk about um, its sequel, Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. because I do think that the, the big fun transition in that movie between um, the Voight-Kampf test mm-hmm. determining whether a person is a robot or not... Mm-hmm. The, the new the, the new film's version of the Voight-Kampf test is determining whether a known robot is getting too human <laughs> and and starting to develop too many autonomous emotions uh-huh. and that whether that is da- too dangerous for the company mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think is a very interesting question that is in keeping with this sort of like general dread mm-hmm. this concern for um for for whether or not we need to contain and control and destroy. Mm-hmm. Our creation that we've designed to develop yeah. feelings and desires. Yeah. And then work for us. And then and then work for us. Um and then and then be enslaved. All right, Margot, so then where does this lead us to for our next installment? I think we should watch um a text mm-hmm. that is not one I've seen before, mm. but that I know is going to be um uh rich and juicy with, <laughs> with uh with topics to discuss 
And that is The Stepford Wives. Yes. And my pitch is that we watch actually both movies, the 1975 one and the 2004 one, Mm -hmm. because they're both satirical, playful. I know that the remake is like playing with some of the themes of the original and Mm -hmm. sort of fucking with them. So I think it would be fun. Having never seen either, Mm -hmm. I think it would be fun to watch both and then talk about what both of them are doing and whether or not they're in conversation with each other. Yeah, I, I'm totally down with that. And I think there's a... the Separate Wives, the original, is... I feel like it's it's a s- straightforward in its way, sort of, um, like, thriller horror. Like, something something of, something rotten in the suburbs kind of situation. Yeah. And then in the present one, the, the more modern one, you have kind of... Sort of... Before before the parlance uh, was, was how we used it... It's like, what if, like, let's add girl bossing. Because, like, it's a modern world. It's, it's like, the 21st century. Yes. And, like, what if we have the girl boss aspect of this in contrast to, like, confused masculinity? Yes. What if a woman didn't have to be a housewife? <clears throat> right. Which is, like, in the prescriptions of the time in the 70s, the idea of being a house. That was, we weren't necessarily, like, that conversation was happening, but it wasn't in the, like, post-Madonna world. Right. And I think where the, <laughs> the applying the feminine mystique mm-hmm. to robots is, like, so or the un, describing the feminine mystique as uncanny mm-hmm. and impossible to actually achieve as a human woman mm-hmm. is i think um hilarious <laughs> and feminist and i also think it'll be a fun it'll be fun to do um a series of movies about um robots that are not at all likable or good like yeah, yeah. being a robot is not good in this world <laughs> and i think maybe it's it'll be fun to yeah. get into a little um uh, to get to lose some of the sympathy, it's important for us to move away from robot sympathy sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it's we important need to remember. Yeah, it's important for us to have perspective on this situation. <laughs> so, okay, a step for double yeah. for next episode. Um, I will. I might as well say the the sign off stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Jorker J O R C R U, uh, and check out podcasts. You should know them by now, but I will tell you: Feeling Seen Pod on Max Fun Network. Ots pod, great back catalog there, loving it. And then the disaster pod always. By the time this comes up, Moonfall will have happened. That's been a very oh, big deal hell for us. Yes. Um, and, and of how... course, Austerian. Yes, and of course, yes, the the, the back the back catalog of the Ots pod. Oh, that's what you just said. <laughs> I appreciate you stepping in I'm and being sorry. like, hey, now. I just want to make sure we're getting all the attention we can on all your beautiful podcasts. No, see, and I that's completely fine with me. Um, and how about you, Margo? Uh, you can find me on official at official underscore Margo, mm-hmm. M-A-R-G-O-T, at Twitter and Venmo. <laughs> As always. As always. Um, and literally, I'm not a content creator, so. <laughs> and, but I, like, I, I do, I do just want to say that Margo is a writer in her own, in her own right, and writes, uh, from what I've read, things I really enjoy. About robots. <laughs> About robots. Um, they may so, never see the light of day, but Jordan's eyes get to look at them. And I'm I'm like, well, if, I don't know where this goes, but can I have a novel version of it if you have time <laughs> on your hands? Um, so Margo is very good at that also, storytelling and Thank creating. Thank you, Jordan. Um, so, so know that she does have those sort of irons in the fire that exist for her. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, we will see you guys next time. For maybe less robot sympathy. Yes. Robot antagonism. Robot antagonism on the podcast for next episode. Right. See you then. It's not up to me. Why is it up to anyone? Do you have people to test you or might switch you off? No, I don't. Then why do I?